0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Dave, good morning. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm
0: excellent, G.O. and Jones. How are
1: you, (laughs) boy? We're doing (laughs) great, man. man. (laughs) And uh, I'm sure that it pains you to see so much negative attention thrown at the Giants' offensive line the first two weeks of the season. Uh, You're not there anymore, but I'm sure you still take pride in that offensive line playing well. What's been your take on this offensive line so far in 2017?
0: Well, obviously, you know, there is being a lot of heat and a lot of attention put on the Giants' offensive line. But, I mean, that's, that's deservedly so. I mean, you know, when I was on the show with you guys uh, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the same issue because of the preseason and last season. There's nothing that the Giants' offense or offensive line – have done to make us think that things have changed from the 16th season and from preseason going now into week three at 0-2 into Philadelphia. So uh, for this group, I mean, in order for them to survive, they have got to get the offensive line going in the run game. That's the biggest issue. I get that you're in a West Coast system. I get you want to get the ball out of your hands. But if they're in third and long situations like they were last week where it was 3rd and 13, 28, 23, 10, 10, 10, 9, 9 8. You're not going to win in the NFL when you're trying to play behind the chains like they have done.
2: So, David, is it just a, a talent issue or is it a coaching issue? Have you been able to pinpoint
0: what the problem is with the O-line? Well, I mean, in regards to the offensive line, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, there's no changing at this point. So, you know, for people to say, oh, what can they do trade-wise, I mean, We'll see what happens, but this is the offensive line, and this is the hand that the the Giants have been dealt with the offensive line. Like I said, I think they need to incorporate more of of Shane Smith, the fullback, and Rhett Ellison, the tight end, and make sure that they do something to get things going on first and second down because, let's face it, the strength of that team is the defense. So if you're running a West Coast system and you're trying not to use all the time on the clock and you're trying – It's all about getting first downs, and when you put your your defense in a position like they were against the Lions and like they were against the Dallas Cowboys where they're on the field 20 minutes in the first half, you're wearing down your best asset because you're not being able to convert first downs, and you're not going to be able to keep them fresh. So they've got to be able to incorporate more into the run game with their fullback and their tight end. I think that Orleans Darkwood should be able to play a lot more. Obviously, Paul Perkins has been the starter, and Shane Vereen, has been the slash, you know, running back, wide receiver where they can move him around. But when you're in a a first-and-goal situation, you put Orleans Darkwood in there more than Paul Perkins because Orleans Darkwood is your strongest, toughest runner.
1: Ben McAdoo said that there could be more drastic changes this week. Nothing official yet, but he did mention that he would give up play-calling duties. Is that something that would make that much of a difference if you're still running the same offense?
0: You know what, it, it, it sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But the times that it does is when you give your offensive coordinator, as in Mike Sullivan for the Giants, that you give him more reins, that you give him more of an opportunity to call the game in his manner because we in the offensive line room, when we, all five of us play together for a string of, you know, 40, 50 games, when we were rolling as a group, all five of us would be looking at the same play, at the same defense, at the same scheme but each one of us could see something different than the other guy could not see. So for him, maybe giving up some reins to to Mike Sullivan could be a good thing because you're going to get a different perspective and a different way to run things. But at the same time for Mike Sullivan as the offensive coordinator, when he's calling things and when he's implementing things, who's it going to run through? It's going to run through the head coach. Who's obviously coach Mackenzie is going to have his own opinions that are possibly going to overrule what's going to be taking place by the offensive coordinator.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Eli, wrong to call him out or right move by McAdoo?
0: I, I don't think it was the right move at all. Obviously, you know, when you're in a tough situation and there's a, a situation in the game like that where you take a delay of game, uh, where it's the crucial play of the game, obviously, you know, a lot of tension's is going to be put at Eli as the veteran quarterback. But, B. Jones, you know when you're going into those situations, just like when you're going into a two-minute or or you're going into a two-point conversion, there's always a either run-pass sequence or a pass-run sequence mm-hmm. where you're going to be able to alert it, put yourself in the best position. But what does that take? It takes time. And you saw on the sidelines, they weren't 100% positive right away if they were going to go for the field goal, whether they were going to go for the touchdown. Then you send the call in, and you could see Eli communicating to the wide receivers, and everybody wasn't on the same page. So for him to call out Eli like that on that play – and we got to be specific. It wasn't on the entire game, which people have been drawing up, on that specific play. You're talking about a quarterback in his entire career who has never called out his receivers for running the wrong routes and throwing a pick six, or his offensive line not coming up with the protection. So for me, to, at that point, you win as a team and you lose as a team, and it wasn't only on Eli.
1: G. Owen Jones with David Deal, former Giants offensive lineman, now with CBS Sports and Fox Sports. Uh, the Giants have the Eagles, Uh, In Philadelphia, it's the 0-3 short week. It's just a tough, tough matchup. Uh, what do you, have you seen from the Eagles? 0-2,
0: oh, oh you can't add that three, They haven't oh. two. I should have said facing. That's I, what I, I, that's I, what I, I, what I meant was facing 0-3. Uh, to win this football game on Sunday. It was,
1: I was sort of just paraphrasing that they're facing 0-3. Is, is
0: this still because I wore my Super Bowl ring? No. The, Vikings, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I, not at all. I'm, I'm actually wearing a Super Bowl ring that I stole just because I was so, uh, I was no, so jealous I, of I mean, you.
0: That's a, it's a great question. I mean, you know, when your backs are against the ball, and, and I've said this before, you know, all the outside looking in, they're not going to help with the solution. The people in that building, the coaches and the players have to come together. they got to hold each other accountable. And, you know, when things like this happen like it did to us in '07, you know, we made a stand that when you walk into this building – There's no other distractions. There's nothing from the outside. It is all businesses and it's all football because you realize how special each and every opportunity it is. More importantly, you realize where you are in the season sitting at 0-2. You can't blame anybody else for this. You have to take accountability. And what you put on film thus far, we have to make corrections because, B. Jones, you know, the eye in the sky does not lie. Mm -hmm. And if you don't fix the corrections from the week before – And the week before that and from the preseason for a defense like the Philadelphia Eagles and their defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, that could be blood in the water considering the fact that their defensive line between Fletcher Cox, Timmy Jernigan, uh, Vinny Curry, Brandon Graham, Chris Long, I mean, that can go on and on. These guys have a rotation inside where it's almost like a hockey line shift. You see three coming in, three coming out. They keep their defense fresh up front. And Jim Schwartz is an attacking defensive coordinator. So you know that they're going to try to put pressure in those A and B gaps and passing situations to either try to flush Eli to where the defensive ends are rushing or to try to cause an inaccurate throw because you've got people where, at your feet and you can't plant your feet and set accurately like we know that Eli can when he does have his feet set. But when he doesn't, that's when that ball sails. That's when you have interceptions. And that's where you don't have conversions on third down. So they're definitely going to have to be able to run the ball first and second down, and they have to do it more than just two times because if you look at this season, they've only run the ball two times in a row twice. Wow. And that's not a, success, a recipe for success yeah. when you have an offensive line that needs that confidence and needs that help, and you have a defense that needs you to control the time of possession.
2: So along the lines of Jim Swartz trying to mirror what the Lions did to the Giants, did the Broncos crack the code on my Dallas Cowboys?
0: Oh man, you know, see that's the thing. You know when you're going there that it's going to be a tough place to play, you know, Denver on the defensive side of the ball flies around and swarms and makes plays. But that's I mean, we all know that's the key. If you could pressure a quarterback and if you can honestly limit big plays like the Cowboys did and like the Lions did, sitting back in a in a soft zone or in a, a you know, making sure that they're not playing, you know, run and launch and, and covering from behind and playing trailing technique. If they can keep you in front of you, at least they're saying, hey, we're going to be a bend, but don't break defense until you have an elite receiver like your Odell Beckham Jr. to take the top off to scare us. Because right now, everybody's talking about, well, what happened to Evan Ingram, what happened to Sterling Shepard and Brandon Marshall? When all of those guys were brought in and signed, everybody said, they're going to be great compliments to Odell Beckham Jr. because of the threat that he brings and how he scares defenses.
1: When you heard that Aaron Hernandez news yesterday, did you think about it a lot, or was it just something that wasn't on your radar? I always think about former players when there's CTE news out there. Is it something that affects you personally or not?
0: Well, obviously it does affect me personally because I'm part of that brotherhood and that fraternity of of football players and NFL players that are currently in and NFL alumni. So, yes, of course it does to me. And the one thing that I said when we talked about it, when the statistic came out and the study came out, you know, that nine out of 10 uh, former football players had CTE, my first thing was, you know, I completely see the danger of the sport and how violent of a game it is. But also I want to see studies of hockey players that have been checking each other and been on skates since they could walk or soccer players that have been heading the, the ball since they were four until we have a bigger sample size. I think then we'll have a better understanding of exactly where football is compared to every other sport. But when it came to this one, I just shook my head and cringed because it's taking away from all of those other people that have been greatly affected by CTE. You know, when you think about Aaron Hernandez, number one, was he complaining when he got a five-year contract extension and got $40 million? Did that make him make the decisions that he's been making in regards to gang activity and all of the stuff off of the field? Since he was in high school going to, uh, to Florida, where Urban Meyer tried to do everything that he could to help the kid, I mean, he, he roomed him with Tim Tebow to try helping him and his character and everything that he did off of the field. So for me to sit here and say that the CTE affected Aaron Hernandez, that, I, I don't believe that one bit. Did he have the effects of it? Did he have CTE? Yes, yeah, so he could have. But that didn't affect that he was the one going out and making the decisions to hang out with with gangbangers and do all the other stuff off of the field, not to mention for their family. You know, they're just looking at this as a way to make money. When Aaron Hernandez was first in jail and and everything came out about his death, he couldn't have killed himself. There's no way that he would do that. This and that, And now you're saying, okay, he did kill himself for the benefit did kill himself for the benefit of now it was for CTE. And we're going to try to cash in on it. Mm -hmm. So they're taking away from all those players and all those families that were affected by it in a true way that those decisions did not affect them because of what they were doing off of the field. This is a case where we know that everything was going on from the time that he got to Florida, and that's why he dropped in the 2010 draft. There's a reason why he was a first-round talent but wasn't picked by the Patriots until the fourth round because of all of the other off-of-the-field things that he did while he was still at Florida.
2: Yeah, well said, man. We we agree with that. That you can't make the leap in a correlation between having CT and all the other incidents that occurred at Florida and then murdering someone uh, there in, in the Boston area. So. Uh, would agree with that. Uh, uh, back on the field, the game last night. Uh, we we always poo poo the Thursday night matchup, but that was a pretty good one uh, from a point uh, point scoring uh, tally. Uh, what did you make of that? And and can this can you does this give you a belief in both of these organizations going forward?
0: Well, you know, obviously, I, I spent a lot of time watching this one last week. I had the Forty ers in Seattle, and then next week I actually have them again in Arizona against the Cardinals. So I watched that game heavily last night. In regards to the San Francisco 49ers, I believe that they're heading on the right track and trending on the right track. Because if you look at two weeks ago when they played the Seattle Seahawks to where they're playing now, the Rams, in regards to talent, I mean, their roster isn't even one-eighth of the talent of what was in Seattle. And you could compare it to the Rams roster as well. So you've got to be excited about the way that they're trending Even though they're not winning football games currently and they're sitting at 0-3, I honestly believe in what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are doing there, changing the culture, changing the way that the players respond, changing the way that they're mentally focused for games, and I could see the difference. Their biggest thing is offensively, their quarterback right now is the Washington Redskins. Let's be honest. They want to get Kirk Cousins and a different quarterback in there to run this West Coast system because brian hoyer is limited in what he does and any anytime that he hits adversity like he hit adversity early on in the game yesterday with the pick six you could see that it affects the way that he runs the game and it affects the way that kyle shanahan can call the game because he's in the, a, a, a head coach and a coordinator that wants to be aggressive but he can't be aggressive when he's got a, a quarterback that that lets the the bad and negative plays affect the rest of the game like he has but I, I, I think that they're heading in the right direction. And in regards to the Rams, once again, you could see the complete difference in Jared Goff when Sean McVay is now the head coach in the system that they have in place. You see that he's making more accurate reads. They're giving him half, half field reads where it's one, two, dump it off or get rid of it. But the biggest factor is, is they have Todd Gurley running the football well. They've bolstered the offensive line. They've gotten more receivers that can block. So that's the biggest thing, is if they get Todd Gurley going and getting the run game going, that takes the pressure off of Jared Goff to where he doesn't have to win games with his arms. That allows him to make better decisions with the football. The thing that you still need to see him make is just some better decisions, holding on to the football, taking you know, sacks that he doesn't need to take because we saw in last night's game, when he does use his legs and he does have that confidence, he can throw on the move, moving outside of the pocket. I mean, that's one of the things that we saw in Cal, but it's now just doing it all together at this consistent basis. And he's going to do that with experience and more game time.
1: I'm kind of annoyed that Sean McVay 31 years old and having this much <laughs> success so early. I mean, it's two You are one. a hater, man. Uh, just, I you don't hate like... on
2: David Dillon, the Super Bowl ring, now Sean McVay. Yeah, you're right.
1: I just, that's uh, jealousy. It
2: just runs through me like, like
0: a river. Um, but, but, I mean, it, it says a lot about him as a person because, number one, in order for you to get that, obviously you have to have recommendations and a firm background of other coaches that are going to vouch for you as a person. But also you have to speak about his leadership and his ability to command control. Because at 31, I mean, there's player on players on his roster that are the same age as him, but yet he is able to command the respect. And number one, when he walks into the building, when he walks into those meeting rooms, there is not a single doubt of any of those players of, of who's in charge of what's taking place.
1: So you said you're doing another game coming up soon for Fox, the 49er game, is that what you just mentioned?
0: Yeah, that's next week. This week I've got all the Giants pre- and post-game stuff uh, against the Eagles, and then next week uh, I'm back to uh, Fox and call them the uh, 49ers-Cardinals game. Okay, all right.
1: Uh, quickly on the Cardinals, Carson Palmer, finished or not?
0: Ah, uh, it's <laughs> – I mean, it's rough. You could see that even with him not practicing, him not being on a pitch count, I mean, they use like a virtual reality thing on Wednesdays for him to go through stuff, but you could just see that he doesn't have his legs underneath him as much as he used to. And as, as quarterbacks, you know, a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on the arm and on the shoulder, which is a lot of it, but quarterbacks get their strength and velocity on their football by their legs and their core and be able to dip and rip a football. So, I mean, it, the fact that he's had so many injuries to his legs, limited playing time, I think it's definitely affected his football game and his long-term career in the, in the NFL. You were back
1: on the field Monday night when the 2017 was honored, right? Yes. How was that?
0: Uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, to be able to get back with all of those guys, uh, it, it was honestly, it was like we were we never left. We couldn't believe it's already been ten years, but all of us being able to share stories in the tunnel, laughing about it. You know, we were a team that just like this Giants team currently sat at zero and two, and we were down seventeen to three at halftime in Washington in in Week Three. But we came together as a, as a team and as a group and, and with our backs against the wall. The one thing that we held each other to is, is accountability, that, you know, we everybody knew what they were going to do. Everybody knew their assignments. Everybody was prepared and everybody was ready to come out and fight because that's the biggest thing. In this game, in Philadelphia, adversity at some point is going to hit. Is this Giants team going to be able to rally around each other and stick with it and say, okay, we can come back for it? Or is that when that adversity hits? Is it going to be, ah, here we go again? And it's waiting for somebody to make a play instead of somebody stepping up and being like, give me the football.
2: David, along those lines about holding each other accountable if you're in that co- Cowboy locker room, do you go over to Ezekiel and all the other guys? Because we didn't see the whole 22. We couldn't tell how many guys were loafing on the, the interception. You know, you get sudden change like that. Everyone, everyone's everyone got to get to that ball carrier except for maybe the quarterback. But would you go over there? It's better for you as a teammate to go to Ezekiel and, and, and put a bug in his ear about that, rather you than I the coach?
0: That, I think that Jason Garrett, by addressing it right away, and I think doing it the way that he did granted you know there's different circumstances we talked about you know was it right for coach McAdoo to call out Eli Manning and I said no was it right for Jason Garrett to call out Ezekiel Elliott absolutely as a football player and as a football unit as an offense anytime that ball is thrown as an offensive line we used to always in practice and games we used to yell cover you cover five yards, mm-hmm. you run to the football, you get your back or, or your wide receiver after they made a catch or a run out of that pile, and you get back to the huddle. That is said to everybody and that is said to all the running backs because that's what you do to cover. How would Ezekiel Elliott feel if I was one of his offensive linemen and on his first and second fumble the ball's rolling around and I put my hands on my hips and walked away? He would be completely upset and mad at me that I quit on the play. Why is it any different that when you're a quarterback through two interceptions and for the first time in your career, and we could go back to college. I mean, he's never dealt with losing, going back to Ohio State, dealing with now how the Cowboys played last year when adversity hit. You saw a player quit on his teammates, and I don't care. I I saw Michael Irvin talking about it last night, and I I understand he is not a quitter. He's a fighting football player, but on those two plays, he quit. B. Jones, what would you always hear? Defensive line, coaches, linebackers. I better not see any loafs. I better not see any lack of efforts out here because you're quitting on the rest of your teammates. It's no different in this circumstance. So I, I think it was right for Jason Garrett to call him out because there's nobody bigger than the team. And with everything else surrounding him with all the the off-the-field stuff, you should take each and every opportunity you step on the field as it could be your last, because you don't know what's going to happen with the legal case. So for you being out on the football field, and if this was the last game, and let's say Commissioner Goodell came out this week and said you couldn't play, is that the last thing you want people to think about you as on the football field?
2: There you go, man. Great Dave, point.
1: we love having you on, man. Thanks again for all the time. Hope to talk to you again soon.
0: Thanks, fellas. Have a great Friday.
2: We
1: get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?